Acts chapter two, let's look at this. I just wanna briefly share something with you. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, but it filled the entire house where they were sitting. It filled the entire house. I am so thankful for our revival houses. Watch parties. Can we just put our hands together for the houses that call V1 home? It, it's filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested upon each one of them. And they were all filled. Somebody shout all. Yeah, come on. That's the kind of services we have. Every, everybody, everybody, all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this, the sound of the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Say bewildered. Because each one of them were hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished. Say amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in our own language? And then verse nine, list all of the languages from the regions. Verse 11, both Jews and, you can continue to go on all the way to Arabians, and it says, and we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. What were they saying in people's languages? The mighty works of God. So what, what was being declared as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance in other languages? The mighty works of God. If you've gone to a church your whole life and you've seen a mighty good sermon, but you haven't seen a mighty good work from God, I got to ask what kind of church you went to. Because, listen, I love a good word, but there is a time for a good work. And we've got so many good words. You can listen to a podcast to get a good word. But it's time that we start declaring the mighty works of God. I came in demonized, and I got a mighty work of God. The Bible says that he removed demons by the finger of God. I'd love to see the finger of God to get dipped in your soul and kick a demon out. I want to see a work. I don't just want a word. But mom, I got a problem. I know you're giving me a standing ovation. But this generation is addicted to TED Talks and they're information junkies and they want to know and understand and we've got more degrees in a thermometer, never mind the fact that we're more confused than any other generation in human history, but we love to learn, heaping up knowledge, learn, 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 learn. Well, how is that working out for all y'all? You learn more than almost any generation in existence, but you are more depressed, more filled with anxiety, fear, and apprehension. You're more worried. Why? Because if learning was the solution, you would have learned enough already. It says they begin to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance, and what they were hearing in their own language was the mighty works of God. There's always going to be a place for preaching. But show me the works of God, not just the word. I love the word of God. We're going through entire chapters of scripture. But I got a problem. When people hear and see what God's doing in their midst, they're going to be bewildered. They're going to be amazed and astonished. Then when you go down after that in verse 12, it says they were amazed and perplexed. Say amazed and perplexed. 
saying to one another, what does this even mean? Verse 13, but others mocking. Everybody say mocking. Come on, say it with some sass. Mocking. Others seeing what was going on as the Holy Spirit first entered believers to live on the inside of them, mocked it. Okay, I want to explain something. (laughs) V1 Church is not trying to teach you V1 Church culture. I am trying to pastor you into the culture of the kingdom. So I'm not asking that you join our church. Matter of fact, I would encourage you to visit as many churches as you need to visit to determine whatever you need to determine. But I will tell you this, I didn't pastor you well if you don't learn the ways of the kingdom. If I teach you how to do a V1 Church church service, but I don't teach you the ways of the kingdom, then you don't make sense in heaven. You just make sense in your seat. Oh, come on, y'all. Because far too many of you know how to sing, but never learn how to worship. You know how to listen, but you don't know how to surrender. You know how to take notes, but you haven't been obedient to the thing you wrote down, and you're asking God for a new word when he's saying, get moving with the old word. Because this is what it means to be a Christian, is that we hear about the Holy Spirit. We say we feel him. We invite him into our spaces. But then when he begins to move, it has four responses. So you can write this down. Now, because here's a temptation. The temptation is going to be not to invite your friends into revival. Because who knows? They're going to hear everybody speaking in tongues, and they're going to judge it. And they're going to be like, that's crazy, all that jabbering and jawing. And isn't there supposed to be an interpreter? Isn't there supposed to be an interpreter? Even if it's real, I don't know what it looks like. Mockers, critics. But there's four responses, because some of you are going to be tempted. Well, I don't, I'm not going to bring my friends into this. This is crazy. But here's what I'm saying. Is it real or is it fake? Not is it what I want it to be, how I want it. This is not Burger King, y'all. <laughs> Have it your, your way. <laughs> No, it's Yahweh. <laughs> this is not Burger King. Uh, you know what I'm trying to say? And so it's like, I'm not going to try to create the perfect environment so that you're fragile. Oh, but Pastor Mike, they barely want to come to church. Well, they, they, they don't treat anything else like that. They go to the bar, and they're not offended when their song's not played at the bar. So why am I going to care what song we play when they get here, EJ? It's like, will you peep? Your friends and your family members go in and out of environments where they are not being placated to that degree, and they don't leave. But the enmity that they have is not between them and church. It's between them and God. And you're trying to fix it with creature comforts. But I'm telling you what, the gospel is offensive. And as you continue to bring your friends and your family into this environment of revival, I'm not going to dial revival down. (laughs) But there's four responses that all your friends and family are gonna have. I'm gonna give you the first one. This is biblical, okay? Number one's bewilderment. This is verse six. Now, if you go back to the original Greek, which is the language that that scripture was written, bewilderment, bewilderment means stirred up into confusion or an uproar. 
stirred up into confusion and an uproar. So if you bring your friends and your family and they experience the presence of God and the Holy Spirit's moving, bewilderment means stirred up into an uproar. Let me explain it. If you have ever been watching a sports game and all of a sudden the team starts scoring, you will hear an uproar of the opposing team's fans because everybody starts saying, that's not right. That's the lead. Where's the ref on this thing? Where's the ref? They cheated. I lived in Chicago during the 90 era Bulls and they just couldn't lose, man. And I remember watching games and people would be like, that's crazy. And you know, you have those people, those are the commentary. Now watch, they've never played basketball in the NBA, but they know everything about it. See, okay, put this back up on the screen. So in Acts chapter one, bewilderment, they were stirred up into confusion and an uproar. All of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit broke out, people were being filled. They were speaking in tongues. Here comes the commentators. You can't do that. That's crazy. Where's my... It's a lot like what it feels like to be a pastor. You know, you got Christians that never been a lead pastor one day of their life, but they get in an uproar about what I'm doing as if they know how to do it. Well, I would encourage you to plant your own church and share in the sufferings with me because apparently you know how to do it better according to your lunch conversation. Because anytime the Holy Spirit is moving, it's going to cause bewilderment, which is the commentary comes out. Coming in live from ESPN, I'm here at V1 Church and they don't know what they're doing. Will you shut your mouth? I'd rather receive judgment for doing it wrong than judgment for doing nothing at all. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. One thing I'm not going to be judged for is laziness. One thing I'm not going to be judged for is passivity because God cannot steer a parked car. But get in and drive this thing, Jesus, because I'm going. You're going to have to go ahead and stop me, but you won't have to start me. I say yes. I don't want to be a critic. Put me in. Live from Long Island, Mike's an idiot. I never claimed to have it figured out, but I'm a fool that said yes. Come on. He'll use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He can give me wisdom in a moment, but he can't shut your mouth up. Only you can do that. He can fill my empty mouth, but only you can shut yours. And when I look at, put it back up. Just keep it up till I tell you to take it down because I'm feeling it today. <laughs> Bewilderment. I need my little TV. I can touch it. Stirred up into confusion and an uproar. That is, you're going to have friends that tell you how they know how to do everything we're doing better. And that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 1. But that's not a reason why you don't invite them. Because I'm going to tell you the second response. Number two. Okay, put that one up. Astonishment. Everybody say astonishment. Now, when I first look at the word astonishment, I thought that astonishment means, oh, whoa. Isn't that how, if I was like, do an impression of astonishment, oh, whoa. But I looked up the Greek. It goes a little bit deeper. Watch this. To have admiration and to wonder. So this is what I love. When the Spirit of God is moving, when people are bringing, it was funny because you know the, the cigarettes, how many cigarettes we had? 
I post a video on TikTok that went viral, and there's thousands of comments of people saying, I quit smoking today, and then this video showed up in my feed. It's a confirmation from God. Other people said, I've been thinking about getting free, and the way you're talking about it, go on my TikTok and see. And so even the fruit from what happened last Sunday has gone into the thousands already. But here's the thing about it. There's this admiration and wonder. Have you ever been seeing a move of God take place? And there's something on the inside of you that says, oh, I don't know what's going on, but I want more of it. I take you listen, the first time you taste alcohol, you know what happens? You don't like the way it tastes. Come on. Some unrighteous people said, yep. Mm-hmm. Some unrighteous people said, yeah, you're right, preacher. Come on, keep on. Listen, the first time a human being drinks alcohol, they don't like it. I'm speaking as an alcoholic formerly. But you like the effect of it. Oh, wait a second. Why do you think the Holy Spirit is likened to wine? Because your flesh doesn't like it when you first taste it, but you'll love the effects of it. And if you keep on drinking it, come on, somebody, you will acclimate to the taste. Isn't it funny how you don't try to change the taste? You let the taste change you. And then before you know it, now I'm a drinker. Well, listen, when the Holy Spirit's in a place, you don't change the Holy Spirit. You let the Holy Spirit change you. And you say, now I'm one of those tongue-talking crazy people, not because that's who I am. It's who I am now. I've changed. I've come up under the influence. I used to blame alcohol. Uh, the reason why I made bad choices. What if we got so intoxicated with the Holy Ghost that we blamed him for our good choices? I can't believe I forgave you, but he gave me the ability to forgive you. I was under the influence of his kindness. I was under the influence of his gentleness. I can't believe I let you get away with that, but I'm under the influence. What if we started making excuses for the Holy Ghost on the inside? of us. Astonished admiration. I've seen people preaching and as they're preaching, I know they can't preach that good. I'm one of those people, but you come up under the power of the Holy ghost. That's how the King James said it. Holy ghost. If you've never heard that and it's, you come up under the power and what'll happen is admiration. And see, the thing is you're so worried about your friends making commentary that you don't realize that some of them are going to say, this is exactly what I needed. That what's happening. Oh, I tried everything else. This is what I needed. But you'll deny them the opportunity to encounter God because you don't want to encounter their opinion. You'll deny them the opportunity to encounter their creator because you want to create a comfortable experience. I rebuke you. Because where we're going as a church is where he leads, not where I strategize. We don't need more pastor strategy. It got us all jacked up on caffeine, but we don't know the Holy Spirit. We don't need more pastor strategy. It got us playing politics with the pulpit and placating our, our tithers and playing games. We don't need church games. We need the kingdom of heaven to be established in our churches. We don't need emotionalism. We don't need fanfare. We need what Acts chapter 2 was, which is the authentic presence of the Holy Spirit. And it will accomplish, number two, astonishment. Number three, being perplexed. This is verse 12. Now, I like this. Now, this one is a good one. It's neutral. It's neither negative nor positive. Being perplexed is to be entirely at a loss. 
There was a guy seated in our service last week in the 9 a.m. And the Lord had been giving me a word for him for like two weeks. So during worship, I slipped over to him and I grabbed him and I said, hey, I just gotta be obedient. The Lord's been showing me this, 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 and this. And he went, he did, and I was like, all right, cool. I was waiting for him to respond. He, respond. he didn't respond. So I said, all right, cool. I'll see you next Sunday. And he was like. <laughs> Couple hours later, I get a message from him. Pastor Mike, I have to apologize. What you said was so accurate, I was at a loss for words. I couldn't even believe it was happening, to be honest with you. And I said, well, listen, I've been around. I've been, I've been doing this for a while. I No harm, no foul. I, I assume, because scripturally, it means being perplexed. In other words, God does something that suspends your, it, it suspends your disbelief for a moment. It just has you in awestruck, where, where you're, it drops your jaw. Have you ever been in a service where you're like, I'm gonna have to think about this later? And you know what I'm talking about? Where it's all happening around you. are like, I'm going to have to think about this tonight. <laughs> this is crazy. Sometimes you're at an, a loss of words. But see, if you've been in a service and you've never attended a church where they're facilitating an encounter with the Holy Spirit that causes you to be at a loss for words, I, I just got a question. What were you doing? If you've never been in prayer, did you know that, you, have you ever, I'm talking to the intercessors, the real prayer words, have you ever gone the length in prayer, and man, you hit a point where all of a sudden he does say, okay, I'm going to release a greater degree of my glory, and then you just start feeling suffocated by it. Have you ever had, I mean, there's probably only three or four of you in this room, but is there anybody who's literally asked God to stop? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And if you don't, if you don't know what I'm talking about right now, and this sounds crazy to you, I want to bring you here because I'm not coming over there to where you are. I'm not going back there to comfortability and, well, no, I just said prayers and sang elevation worship songs, but then Maverick's really cool, so I'm into them, and every time I sing this chorus, I get real hype. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you prayed so much and so long that he responded with his presence to a degree you never experienced it, and you asked God, stop, like, back off. I feel like I'm about to die. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? A couple of you. So there are realms, and see, in the upper room, they were praying and going in for such a duration of time that there was a realm that began, there, there was a level that they were in. And I'm trying to provoke you to come up because so many pastors think the solution is for them to go down. I'm calling you up. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, the reason why this stage was filled with crystals and the new age is because people want to experience the supernatural, but they illegally access it. So you're over here thinking, well, I don't want to offend my friend with a crazy church service. And they're chanting, invoking spirits, burning things. They're actually doing do dosing with uh, psychedelics and having these crazy experiences. And you're worried about what they think about your church service while they're over here summoning spirits. It doesn't make any sense. But what you've been discipled into is carnal Christianity that only is concerned with the things of the soul and the flesh. But 
But when you come over to the spirit, you say, hey, I know you're hanging out with the prophets of Baal, but I want you to see what happens when we put water in the moat and call down fire from heaven. Come on, somebody. While they're cutting themselves to that false God, watch and see what the real and true living God can do. Sometimes you got to just have a showdown with the demonic instead of trying to say, let me give you something Christian flavored. Give them Christ. Your friends are going to be bewildered. They're going to be astonished. Some of them are going to admire it and want it. Some of them are going to be at a loss of words, perplexed. And then lastly, some of them are just going to mock and criticize it. But here's the thing. I want to comfort you. The very first sermon ever preached after the Holy Spirit came to dwell in believers was preached in response to criticism. Don't you love how the Holy Spirit said, hey, son, Peter, it's time to clap back. That's really what happened. Do the reading in Acts chapter 2. Now, Peter is the same one that when they took Jesus, he said, oh, no, Jesus, I'm from Bushwick. (laughs) That's where our night campus is. No, Jesus. And he rose up. He flexed. You know, he's like, come up. And he fought those guys. And Jesus is like, Peter, you idiot. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. He put the ear back on. Why? Because he was always fighting in the flesh. Just like some of you think, if you can tell your friends and family what's happening at V1 Church, that you could make it all right. You can't because you can't fight flesh with flesh. You can't win an argument with an argument. And so you got to learn how to operate in the spirit. So what happened was Peter kept operating out of the flesh. Matter of fact, I mean, he got rebuked, said, Jesus said, Satan, get thee behind me. But then there was this powerful moment of redemption where the Holy Spirit said, hey, you know that thing in you, Peter? that always wants to set it right? You know that thing in you that wants to clap back? I'm gonna show you how to do it my way. (laughs) You tried with a sword. You tried with an argument. Try with the Holy Spirit. And he began to stand up. He said, no, these men are not drunk, but they've received the new wine. And watch, 3,000 people were added to the kingdom, 1,000 for each time Peter denied Jesus. Whoo! Restoration. 1,000 people for every time that Peter denied Jesus. And Jesus said, now that's how you clap back, son. You expand the kingdom with the demonstration of power through the Holy Spirit. Every time Peter was talking, he was talking out of his soul or he was talking out of his mind. But the one time he spoke in spirit, 3,000 came to the kingdom. I'm trying to shift you into a different mode because our church, this is, this is pre-conference eve. And I'm warning you, after next Sunday, things will never be the same for many of you. I'm warning you. Last but not least, Acts chapter 17, verse 32. I got a few more minutes. Now, here's the crazy part. Let's just say, Julie, that I preach real nice, 30, 32 minutes, 29, 29, 28, 27, 27, anybody, 27, what would you come to church for? 24, 22. Oh, we won't even preach at all. We'll just play your favorite song. So no song. Okay, we'll put it all online. Let's just say we did everything we could to create the optimal experience for you and your friends. I want to show you what happens when Paul begins to just preach a message. There's no demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no demons screaming out. Come on, that's so common here at a V1 service. And you know it's always worse when you bring your friends. 
wasn't this awesome? Yeah. No! <laughs> Let's say we just expunge all of that from a V1 service, and we just say, well, listen, we're going to come in. I saw an advertisement for a church that said 60-minute drive-through church. It was an actual advertisement, 60 minutes. You know, come and get your Jesus, 60 minutes. You can get it all done in 60 minutes. Can you imagine if I tried marriage that way? Julie, I've got a date scheduled with you. 59 minutes and 59 seconds. I'll have you back home right in time. Can you imagine if we did anything else like that? But people have tried to reduce their experience with God to the comforts of their flesh. And the thing that I want to show you is in Acts 17, 32. Look what it says. It says, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. That's the same Greek word for Acts chapter 2. And then others said, we'll hear what the, this guy has to say on the matter again. So Paul, now Paul's preaching a nice sermon. No demons are coming out. Nobody's getting healed. Nobody's screaming. Nobody's speaking in tongues. He's just preaching. But just the message of the resurrection was enough to cause him to be mocked. So can I tell you the truth? Even if we just put everything in a nice, clean, consumeristic 2022 American model for you, if as soon as I just say the gospel, and the gospel is that we share in Christ's death, but we also share in his resurrection. According to this, it says, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, well, we'll listen to you again. So here's the thing. Your friends are gonna get offended by the works of the Holy Spirit or the words of the Holy Spirit. But your obligation is not what happens. Your obligation is, did they get the chance to hear it? because I'm here to tell you when I get to heaven, there's gonna be some people who said, that's that crazy guy with the cult on Long Island. That's that crazy guy that we blogged about. That's the crazy guy that did all these things and claimed God was with them. But when they hear the Lord say, come on in, good and faithful servant, that's when the first will be last and the last will be first. But there's gonna be some that says, hey, remember that guy? He told you the truth about my son Jesus, but he didn't say the way you wanted to hear it. He didn't say it at the value you wanted to hear it, but you heard the truth and you mocked, so depart from me for I never knew you. And so my obligation is not to what happens when the truth is preached. It's to get people to hear the truth and let them settle up with God. And I want you to have a boldness in you that says, I know this to be true. He may not have made you laugh enough. He may not have said a story that tickled your fancy, but he told you Jesus loves you and that he died on the cross to save you from your sin that he rose three days later and you could join in that. And now you've heard the truth from Indiana all around the world. You heard it. And I fear that we're so concerned with what people think that we've gotten out of touch with the mind of Christ. We're so afraid. But my family, it's not those who are genetically related to me. My family are those in Christ who share in the sufferings of Christ. By that definition, Jocelyn, you're my family. I got some family that don't serve Christ. By Christ's definition, they're not my family. I, I know that's crazy, but everybody thinks of Jesus as the unity guy. We are the world. We are. Jesus actually said, no, I'm coming to bring a sword. 
I'm gonna separate what you think is family and join you to a new group of people because there's gonna be people that don't get it. There's gonna be people who are resistant to it. Let me give you some good news. There's gonna be some people who don't get it now but get it later. I've had some people say, oh, why do you gotta pray like that? And then when they get the diagnosis, they say, please come and pray for me. Come on, somebody. And so sometimes they get it now and sometimes they get it later, but let's pray they don't run out of time. I'm gonna keep chasing after God unapologetically. I'm gonna worship. I'm gonna preach. I'm gonna give and I'm not doing it because you shout for me. Let's shout for Jesus. Stand to your feet, somebody, so I can end this sermon. That's the fastest way to get me to end is to jump to your feet. Try it next Sunday. <laughs> Paul departed from them. And in Acts 17, 34, it says, how be it certain men clave to him and they believed. And among them was Dionysius from, uh, you know, wherever that is. And a woman named Damaris and, and others with him. Why is Acts 17, 34 so important? Paul preached a crazy word, the resurrection of the dead. If you can't believe people speaking in tongues, you know what's crazier than people speaking in tongues? The resurrection of the dead. That's why your friends and your pastors that don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, I have to remind them, you understand you're, you believe in something crazier, right? Yeah, a virgin birth. <laughs> a virgin birth. A woman who never slept with a man was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and conceived Jesus. Then you believe in a man who never sinned, although he was tempted in every way. Then you believe that that same man died between two common criminals, and three days later, he came back from the dead. But you struggle with the gifts of the Spirit. Okay, that makes sense. But you struggle with speaking in tongues, which the Bible does say tongues will cease one day. It ain't yet. <laughs> Why do I say this? Because you've, okay, this is the whole linchpin of the sermon. This is, I brought you to this place across every campus. I want you to hear this moment. I brought you all, everything I just said is to bring you to this one moment. Are you with me? Are you with me? So many pastors have tried so hard to help you understand scripture that I'm afraid that you made the mistake of believing you could understand God. They've pastored you into trying to figure everything out. And that is the wrong way to do this Christian faith. There's a mystery in the gospel. And it's the mystery that draws you closer. As a matter of fact, when I first met Julie, you know why I went on a second date with her? Because there was more of her to learn. You know why I went on a third day and a fourth day and a fifth day and a thousandth day and a 2,643rd day? Because my wife is a mystery that I'll spend my lifetime trying to learn and figure out. The mystery of the gospel is stop trying to figure God out. Because if you can figure your God out, then you're the God. And if everything that's ever happened in your Christian walk is explainable by you, that doesn't make you a genius. It makes you a bad God. And so the people that are always like, well, you don't understand because this scripture says this and this scripture says that. and this It's like, but, but listen, Acts 19, when handkerchiefs 
were being handed to people and demons were coming out never happened in scripture before that. So even Acts 19 proves that sometimes God will do something that has no template in scripture. There was no, there was never an occurrence of a shadow that somebody walking by and then they were healed. But God did that in the apostolic age to, to prove to people, don't you dare think that we're returning back to the formulas and the rituals of the old covenant. And it's many of us that in our minds say, I got to figure it out. Okay, I've been doing funerals for many years now. Every time someone dies, you know what we try to do? Figure it out. Why did they die? What was God doing? What happened? How could we stop it from happening? That's human nature to always figure it out, figure it out. What if I told you the biggest next level in your walk with Jesus is going to occur when you stop trying to figure out what God is doing? It's the most liberating thing. I'm gonna bring you to Job chapter one and then we're gonna learn how to worship. We're gonna take a few minutes. Job chapter one, there's a man named Job. Job was blessed. Now, business people, entrepreneurs, hustlers, grinders, listen to me, listen to me. Those of you that made it in the world, those of you who finally got the promotion at the job, and listen to me, Job chapter one teaches you that anything Job had, he credited, God gave it to me. That's the only reason why we're ever selfish when, when we do tithe and offering and when we do campaigns is because we think that we brought it to ourselves. But Job chapter one, Job says, everything I have, God en enabled and allowed me to have it. He was incredibly wealthy and he had multiple kids. Matter of fact, how many of you, and you don't, you don't have to even say this out loud, but if you have a prodigal child, a child who's walked away from the Lord and you struggle with that, Job chapter one is what I would pastor you with. Because it says that his children would do these crazy parties, two and three day parties. At the conclusion of the parties, Job didn't go to his children and say, you shouldn't be doing that. And you, let's pray together. You know what Job did? The Bible says Job would make extra sacrifices daily on behalf of his children. And he would offer it before the Lord and say, Lord, just in case my children sinned on the inside in their own heart while that party was happening, here's some extra sacrifices. He knew that God was in control of everything. He didn't argue his children about the things of God. He just made sacrifices on their behalf and prayed. What a beautiful picture of Job chapter one. Then in the midst of that, Satan comes and he says, well, first of all, God asked Satan, where have you been? He's like, well, you know where I've been. I've been prowling the earth. For those of you who think Satan's in hell, he's actually on earth. I don't know if you know that. There, he's not in hell. Satan is actually roaming the earth with his demonic minions. And so he's like, well, I've been roaming the earth. You know where I've been, God. Give me Job. And God says, you can take everything from him, but do not kill Job. He won't curse me. Now, I want to show you something because it's so powerful. Job starts receiving many signs like from people, hey, I survived the wind. Everything died. I survived the fire. Everyone else died. All your possessions are gone. And he's receiving the overwhelming weight of the, the word of loss, 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 loss all around him. And what I love about Job is that he does not try to figure out what God is doing. 
He doesn't try to assign it meaning. He didn't try to write a good sermon or a Facebook post. Job was not trying to figure God out. He was trying to surrender. How could I surrender more? Not how I can figure more out. It's a completely different perspective. Now watch this word. It says, Job, when he heard that he lost everything, he got to his feet, he dropped down, he ripped his robe, he shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground and he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I'll return to the womb of the earth. God gives, God takes, God name, ever be blessed. Not once through all this did Job sin, not even once did he blame God someone shout hallelujah right now I want to spend just a moment worshiping because what I want to teach you is when there's revival happening I want to know who the Job is I want to know who the person who says naked I came into this world naked I will leave I don't care what you think about how undignified my worship looks I don't care what you think about what I've accomplished. I came into this world naked. I didn't have a home. I didn't have a driveway, three cars, and two kids. I came into this world naked, and I'm leaving naked, but I don't need to figure out God. I am surrendering to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives, and he takes away. If he wants to give me the gifts of the Spirit, I want him. If he wants to move in my midst, I want it. But I'm not trying to figure God out. If you want that next level, just stretch your hands towards heaven. This is the next level. And if you need to borrow my words, just say, God, I'm done trying to figure it out. God, I surrender my mind. I surrender my emotions. I want to be like Job, who learns true worship. I'm surrendered to you. I'm surrendered to you. Come on, tell God, have your way in my life. Have your way. Come on, sing this melody out just a few more times.